Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30 for our scripture reading this morning. We'll begin looking at Genesis 30 and verse 25. Genesis 30 verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know that the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look into my wages with you, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between him and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would take your word and open it before our eyes, that you would teach and instruct us by it, that you would exhort and correct, that you would encourage and build up, that you would um, make us more like Christ as a result of your word. We pray for your spirit to work among us, both for me as the speaker and for all of us as the hearers that our hearts would hear your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, have you ever experienced being wronged by someone? Someone taking advantage of you? Um, I've lost my little placeholder. I don't know how I'll make it through the service without that. Um, Anyway, (laughs) that's okay. Clayton, remind me to talk to you about that. I want something permanent up here to do that. I keep using my glasses to do it. 
Uh, let's start over. Have you ever experienced being wronged by someone? Or I'm going to constantly be messing with this the whole time. Have you ever experienced being wronged by someone or taken advantage by someone? Or maybe it wasn't someone being devious. Someone simply just didn't keep their word. My guess is every one of us have experienced something like that. I remember walking into a job once that that happened. We had, uh, we had a young family at the time, small family, one child, one on the way. And uh, went into a job with an expectation. We communicated. We talked like you do when you go into a job, how much you'll make. And I had my salary set before me. We packed up our house and we sold our belongings and we moved our family to a new city. But when I started the job, I found that right off the bat, over 25% of my salary just vanished because of a policy that uh, had not been looked into or challenged based on the promise that was given to me. And then when we got our first paycheck, it was even lower because I was told that what they meant by benefit of health insurance was that I would have the privilege of purchasing not the employer's portion or the employee's portion, but the whole portion, and there went another 25% of my salary. And so from day one, we were uh, living with less than half of what we anticipated. Uh, We were at the poverty line. And if this had not happened uh, by a friend, it would have just been a great disappointment. But it was a personal wound. Uh, I was not only disappointed and devastated, I was wounded. I was hurt by this. And I began to beat myself up and wonder, what had I failed to do? Should I have asked more questions? Or when we got there, should I have made a stand? Should I have confronted? We even talked about packing up the whole house and moving back, even though we didn't know how we would do that or what we would do. To say that it was a devastation would be an understatement. And what went on for the next three and a half years was a a difficulty. What followed the three and a half years was even greater difficulty because it took us twice as long to get out of the mess. But God was faithful. God never left us. He was with us the entire time, and he provided. He used that time, what felt like a wilderness experience, to train us, to equip us, even to correct us. But he was faithful. Maybe you've been disappointed by someone or you felt taken advantage of, or maybe you just can, can, uh, can relate to the, the disappointments of living in a fallen world. Maybe it's suffering from uh, physical pain, and you know what that, uh, what that brings, that it, it, it can consume your whole life. It can take over and bring incredible heartache. Maybe you've simply known the griefs of the sins of others or even the consequences of your own sin. The story of the patriarchs is the story of a faithful God who delivers on all of his promises. That's a theme that I have probably said to you Almost every week. And some of you, I would imagine, are thinking, why doesn't he say something new? And the reason is, is because we all need to hear it every week. That God is faithful and keeps all of his promises. We need that. We need the hope of the gospel that in Jesus Christ, all of the promises of God find their yes in him. Because the moment that we walk out these doors, the doubts begin to creep in because circumstances begin to bombard us. We need to hear and know 
what Philippians 1.6 tells us, that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We need the hope that is found in the gospel. And so week in and week out, we need to hear of God's faithfulness. The episode that's in this text today is one of further trickery by two who we've known as deceivers. We know both of these characters quite well. The deceiver Jacob cheated his brother out of his birthright and then further cheated or tricked his father out of getting the blessing. And then Jacob was foiled by Laban, the deceiver, into marrying Leah first instead of Rachel. In this passage, Laban continues as the trickster, but we be, we're beginning to see some transformation in Jacob's life. I don't know if you, if you picked up on that when we read through the text this morning, but we're beginning to see some change happening, happening, uh, uh, be, some changes begin to happen, rather, in Jacob's life. For the first time, Jacob begins acknowledging God's blessing. Notice how he made that statement multiple times that God had blessed him or had blessed Laban because of him. Even though we see Jacob act shrewdly, and it might seem deceptive at first, we see that he doesn't stoop to deception in dealing with Laban, but he relies on God's sovereign provision. You remember back at Bethel, God had made a promise to Jacob. It was the, it was the promise of his grandfather and of his father that had been passed down to him. And he received that promise from his father in the blessing. But God had come to him in that dream at Bethel and, ex, and, and ex, uh, expressed or, or, or spoke that promise over Jacob very personally. And it was, in essence, a promise of a family, a promise of prosperity, and a promise of land. And in our last text, we saw Jacob's family grow, didn't we? Uh, Eleven of the twelve sons and, and at least one daughter is mentioned, Dinah. In the coming chapters, we'll see him. In this chapter, we see him uh, grow in prosperity. And in the coming chapters, we'll see him return to take possession of the land. But in that promise that God gave to Jacob, he said to him, you shall spread abroad in Genesis twenty-eight fourteen. And the word that is translated to spread abroad in that passage is used twice in our text today. Once in verse 30 where it's translated increased abundantly and once in verse 43 where it's translated increased greatly. And so what is happening before us today is that God is answering the promise. He's fulfilling the promise. What he told Jacob he would do, he is now doing. But as often the case, and we've learned this and we'll continue to learn this, God doesn't do it in the way that we would do it. I mean, you think of the whole Rachel-Leah dynamic and how the family would grow and, and all of that infighting and the dysfunction. It just sounds like... And, and it was a big mess. It was. And there were consequences to that big mess. And yet God provided this fast-growing family. And then today, the prosperity. Why couldn't God have just, like, you know, won the Middle Eastern lottery or something? You know, that's the way we think. Like, why can't God just send this... But God uses this strange event that we read about today to bring abundance to Jacob. But all the while, we see Jacob becoming a man of faith. And that's really what I want us to see today, is how God is not just providing or growing his physical abundance or his prosperity, but how he's growing his faith. Because this is something that we need. Our faith grows as we look back, as Jacob did, he looked back to that promise given to him at Bethel. 
so that he would look forward to the faithfulness of God. To anticipate God's faithfulness, you and I should do the same thing. It's easy, though, as we've already talked about, because we're bombarded by difficulties in life. Um, We face adverse conditions. We're subject to injustices of others or at other people's hands. We struggle to mortify our own sins. But the lesson for us again and again is that God is the faithful one. And so as we look at Jacob who received the promise of a family, prosperity, and land, even though Jacob too faced adverse conditions, didn't he? He too suffered injustices. Uh, He also dealt with the consequences of his own sin. Yet God's word proved true to him. So when we say nothing can thwart God's plan, it's everything. It's difficult things. It's injustice. It's sickness. It's, it's plans that go awry. It's things that fall apart. Nothing can sever our relationship with Him or thwart His plan. God's promises are true for us as well. Psalm 57 two says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. Psalm 138.8, the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast, O love, O Lord, your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. These are the promises that need to sink down deeply into our hearts. And so as we begin looking in verse 25, we read, As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away. The author's pointing out the timing here because there was something in tradition. We don't have a ton of information on it, but there's seemingly something with the tradition that Jacob needed to wait till Rachel had born a son to him. You know, Le- Leah was already had six sons. And so the issue wasn't with Leah. He was waiting on Rachel to have a son. Because Laban had, 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 seemed to have a claim over them. We see this in, not, not just in today's passage, but up to this, that Laban functioned almost like a king of a kingdom. He had this seeming, seeming power, uh, over Jacob. We don't get a lot of details that describe the dysfunction in this family, <clears throat> but we're able to see those details in the way they talk to each other, in the way they treat one another. And Laban clearly had a master servant mindset over Jacob. And functioned like a king. And we see this in how Jacob asks to be released. He says, give me my wives and children for whom I have served you. It was almost like he was reminding him that he had paid his debt. And he wanted to be let go. Now, I think Jacob demonstrates some maturity here. It's either maturity in that he went to Laban and asked for this. Or he is possibly posturing because he knows Laban. Or maybe it's a mix of the two. Maybe Jacob's growing and he's also posturing before Laban because he knows who Laban is. He knows Laban better than most. He's been wronged by Laban more than once and he knows what kind of man he is dealing with. Laban is not only a deceiver, as we've already seen, but Laban is always thinking about money. That's always what... You remember when we first met Laban? Back when Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac... Rebecca, Laban's sister. And what did Laban lock his eyes on? When, when did Laban get all excited? When he saw the gold and the bracelets and all the gifts. Then Laban sprung into action. Because why? Laban was always thinking about money. And so Jacob seemingly anticipates a counteroffer. In other words, I'm not going to go to Laban and get my request. He's always going to come up with something. He's always going to have another plan. I've got to be ready for this that 
he's not just going to get to go back to his homeland. But notice that his desire to return to his homeland is rooted in the promise that God had given him. He now has a family. It's time for him to take care of his family, to focus on providing for them. And we see this expressed in verse 30. He asks Laban, when shall I provide for my own household as well? And so in that, we see not only his desire to care for his family, but implied in this is that he doesn't have the means to do so in the current context. And Jacob, in, in, from a human wisdom standpoint, he sees, I need to go back to Canaan, the promised land, the land that's been promised to me. That's where I'm going to make my fortune. I have nothing to my name here. I'm clearly not making any money under Laban. And seriously, he hadn't made any money under Laban. For 14 years, what did he work for? First wives, right? And not intentionally. The first seven years was for Rachel. He got tricked, married Leah, and then he had to work another seven years. So he's not been able to save money. He's not made any money. He just has his wives and his children. And so he he was completely dependent on Laban. Completely dependent on him. And he feels the need to break away and to move on. We can understand why he would want to do that. But Laban doesn't want to let Jacob go, does he? Laban is holding on. He does have a counteroffer. He does have another plan in mind. And it's not just about losing his daughters or about losing his grandchildren. It's about what? It's about money. That's what Laban wants. He he wants to grow rich. And we get some additional information here that, that Jacob says to him in verse 30, You had little before I came, and it's increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. So Laban didn't have much before Jacob came. He didn't know success. And now that Jacob has been with him for these 14 years, he has increased abundantly. This is, again, one of those places where that word is used from the original promise that was made to Jacob in Genesis 28, that word for increased abundantly. You see, Laban had been blessed because of the blessing on Jacob's life. And so when we read the words of the blessing all the way back from Abraham to Isaac, each time it's reiterated, we read the different versions of that blessing. We see in it this promise to not only be a blessing, but to bless others, that others would be blessed, that the the blessing was like an overflowing cup. Not only would your cup be full, but it would be overflowing so that the people around you would be blessed. Laban has been enjoying this blessing, and he wasn't going to let that go easily. He looks at everything in terms of money, and so he comes to Jacob with this question in verse 31. What shall I give you? In other words, what's it going to take for you to stay? You can almost hear him. You know, he pulls out, he pulls out the, 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 the change, the coin bag, the, the, the bills. or What's it going to take for you to stay? You've been maybe made a deal like that, and you, you see the money, and you think, and Jacob says, what we don't expect. You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, that they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look into my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and the black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. Basically, Laban wants to know what it's, what it's going to cost him to keep Jacob to stay. And Jacob's response is this, from our standpoint, really intricate plan. It sounds so creative and so shrewd and, you know, like, wow, go Jacob, you know. But it's not Jacob's plan. It wasn't Jacob's plan. 
And we don't get to learn this until chapter 31, but we're going to sneak a peek ahead and go ahead and tell you, guess whose plan it was? It was God's plan. God had visited Jacob in a dream. We learn later when he explains it to his wives that God had sent a messenger, an angel, to visit him in a dream and given him this message of this plan. Now, we don't know that he gave him all of the details because some of the details are kind of funny what he does. But the bottom line was God told Jacob that he was going to prosper these strange or the the odd lambs, the odd goats. And he's described there as speckled and striped and mentions the, the lambs that were black. Lambs were typically white. Most of the goats were typically solid in color. So it was the outliers, the, the, the lower percentage. And so God had given him some level of instruction that that's where the prosperity was going to come. And we'll see that God does exactly this. So as Jacob would later tell his wives, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Do you see how Jacob is growing? That he's beginning to acknowledge what God is doing? We're not told this in this, in this text, but as we look ahead and realize what has happened, we realize he's obeying God. He's believing him. And this is important for us to see that he is growing in faith and obedience. You know, it's easy for us to think that Jacob's deceptive here because we're so used to him being deceptive. And so without that extra information, we might think that he, this was just another trick that he planned. But could he have accomplished this trick? Do, do, do cutting sticks and putting them before animals when they're drinking, before they mate, does that determine the outcome? Is there any scientific evidence for that? No. There's no scientific evidence for that. This wasn't Jacob's doing. Think of the faith, though, that it took for Jacob to stay. So he's been there for 14 years, and he has nothing to show for it except his wives and his children, which I don't mean to to downplay that. But in terms of providing, he has nothing else. Like he has no savings, he has no house, everything is Laban's. Laban has complete control over him. Jacob is still a foreigner in this land. And so why would he stay in the same place and expect any different outcome? Isn't that the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome? So it would have, we can say it would have been nuts for Jacob to stay here with Laban a day longer. He should have gotten out of town. So for Jacob to stay, because we know of the dream later from 31 that had happened before this, we know that it took incredible faith for Jacob to say, stay. And he is now living as a man of faith. And I just point out again that the, the fact that he... He showed Laban, there's no tricks up my sleeve. When you come to look at my wages, if you see any of the normal uh, sheep or goats, the the, the non-multicolored ones, then uh, then consider them stolen, right? He's not being deceptive. He's living, in a sense, we could say he's living above reproach. He's saying, you know, I don't want there to even be a hint of deception here in what I am doing before you. And when we see Laban's response when Jacob presents the plan, this good, let it be as you have said, you, you almost, and, and that's how I've read it, you know, you expect him to say it kind of giddy. Yeah, <laughs> this sounds like a good plan. This is something I can't lose on this plan because I know how rare it is for the striped and the speckled. I looked and it's, it's less than 30%, some said 10 to 20% of a normal uh, herd or, or flock, rather, would have been in the striped and speckled category. So it would have been very few. 
Now, if the overall flock increased, of course, they both benefited. But what we see is something strange and unusual happen, and that the striped and the, and the, 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 the speckled and the mottled were the ones who increased greatly. And we know, too, that they were stronger as well. So we can easily envision the big grin on Laban's face. And there was, you know, in the sense, no way he could lose. He, he, he shows himself to be true to who he was, though, doesn't he? As soon as they make the plan, seem like a good, a good, good plan for Laban, not so good plan for Jacob, what does he do? He takes all of the multicolored lambs and goats and sends them three days' journey away with his sons. He continues to act deceptively. He continues to trick Jacob. And from a human perspective, we would look at that situation and be like, there's no way that Jacob could ever win now. Because, you know, all all of the the ones that were striped and speckled and spotted were gone. Now, when we think of Jacob's plan, we've called it, it's it's strange, it's unusual. Um, And from a human perspective, it is. The the cutting the sticks and putting those before the sheep. But that's why we had to look ahead to see chapter 31 that, that he actually had been told by God that this would happen. Now, the information we're not given uh, is that God told him to cut the sticks. That may have been Jacob's plan on his own. And was he being creative? Was he practicing animal husbandry, kind of? You know, was he trying to experiment? Uh, well, there's no scientific evidence for cutting sticks and, and, and influencing the outcome of births by that. There is scientific evidence for mating stronger stock and getting stronger outcomes. So there was some science going on here in terms of his experimenting. And just like farmers with plants do this with animals, they try and, you know, breed stronger animals or breed certain animals that are more favorable. Uh, this could have been what Jacob was, was doing. We're not told. Uh, uh, but at the, the end result is what matters. And the end result is whatever Jacob's motivation was, whatever his intention was, God is the one who provided the increase. God is the one who gave Jacob success, that gave him that increased abundance that we see uh, that is claimed over him. And he acknowledges it. He not only begins to acknowledge it here in the story that's before us today, but we see as we peek ahead to, to chapter 1 when he's telling us his, his wives about the dream, that there he is acknowledging it as well. He is acknowledging that God is the one who sovereignly superintends beyond all human explanation, beyond all explanation of what we understand about nature, that God is the one who provided the abundance, the increase. He is the God who rules and reigns over all. And he is demonstrating this to Jacob. But not only is he showing Jacob this, he's also showing this to Rachel and Leah now and to their children as well. And so the next generation is beginning to learn and to see who this covenant-keeping God is, that he is faithful, that he is true to his word, and that he has all the power to accomplish it. So not only does he make promises, but he keeps promises because he has the power to keep the promises. He made everything. He holds everything in his hands so he can do it. And that's the picture that we see of Jesus when we come to John's gospel. In the opening words of John's gospel, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made 
that was made. It's the same picture that we see in Colossians 1, beginning in verse 16. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. You see, because that is true about Christ, it's not only true that He can make the outcome of the color of lambs and goats, but it means he has the power to superintend anything in your life. Any obstacle that you're up against, any difficulty that you're facing, the God who made all things, who holds all things in his hands, he is the one who has the power to do so. Even before he revealed himself to us as God the Son, Jesus Christ, to his people, he was showing them his character through his power. He was demonstrating that he was able to accomplish these things. Why is this so important? Because when adversity strikes, when unexpected things come, we doubt the power of God. Think of it in terms of how we respond. We usually respond in fear or anger or in a sense of hopelessness. right? And fear and anger and hopelessness all demonstrate that we're either blaming God We're either questioning that God is there at all or that he is willing to help, that he loves us, in other words, or that he has the power to do so. And those emotions that come out of our hearts reveal what we really struggle to believe about who God is. So this is so important. It's why we need to look backwards at God's track record so that we can then look forward and anticipate his faithfulness. Jacob could do that in looking back at the promise God had given him in Bethel. Now Jacob and Rachel and Leah and all the children could be able to look back at this experience and realize God's abundant provision for him, for for them, demonstrates that he would be faithful again and how he overcame the schemes of Laban. He overcame the natural laws of what would normally happen and he would continue to be with them so that, as he promised Jacob, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. In the same way, as Jacob looked back to that promise and then looked forward to anticipate God's faithfulness, we look back at the blessings and the promises that have been given to us in the new covenant that are demonstrated for us in this table this morning. We look back through this table And we see and we remember the promises that have been given to us in Christ so that we can look forward and anticipate that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. We look back just as Jacob did to know that the promise was sure. We look back and know that our sins are forgiven, that the righteousness of Christ is credited to our account, that we're made co-heirs with Christ, that we're adopted as sons and daughters as we look back to this table, we look forward and anticipate that God is faithful. We can anticipate that He will never leave us or forsake us. We can anticipate that He has not only forgiven our sins in the past, but will forgive our sins in the future. We can anticipate that death has no victory over us for it's lost its sting and we no longer have to fear it. We can anticipate that nothing will sever our relationship with Him. And we can anticipate that we will get to reign with Him and enjoy the glorious riches of His grace for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You who are the faithful One, who keeps all of Your words, and who, in whose uh, 
all the promises that you have given find their yes in Christ. We thank you that Christ is ours. Lord, would you continue to bring this truth into our hearts and minds to transform us. That as we face, no doubt, unexpected difficulties as we head out, either whether today or tomorrow or sometime down the road, that our response would not be fear or anger or hopelessness, but that we would remember who you are, that you are the one who has done all of these things. You not only make promises, but you keep them because you have the power to do it. So would you take those truths and plant them deeply in us so that when we face difficult things, instead of anger and fear and hopelessness, we will give you thanks, we will trust you, and we will be hopeful as we anticipate your faithfulness to us again and again and again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.